Sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Each day proclaim the good news that he saves. Publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things he does. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. The gods of other nations are mere idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty surround him. Strength and beauty fill his sanctuary. Father, this evening we again bring you our hearts. All that we are, all that we have, all of our problems, worry, and cares. We bow our hearts before you, not only our heads, for we know that no work can save us, no outward pretense can make us right. Nothing we say or do can justify us before you. We are completely dependent on your grace, and as such, we once again bring ourselves and all that we are to you. We lift to you our family, friends, co-workers, and neighbors. By name and in the silence, we pray for those with whom we share this journey, for those given to us and to whom we have been given. Lord, have mercy. We lift up to you our city, those that work to seek its peace and prosperity, for our teachers, ministers, nonprofit workers, and government leaders. By name and in the quiet, we lift them to you. Lord, have mercy. And Father, for our world, this world that is so ravaged by war, greed, lust, and hate, we lift to you the many places around the globe that are individually on each of our hearts and minds this evening. We pray for your peace and justice. In the silence, we name these places to you. Lord, have mercy, and may your kingdom come. We bring to you all in our body who suffer with illness. Specifically this evening, we continue to pray for the treatment and healing of Bill Lee from cancer. And Father, we lift Suzanne Hassel to you as we learn this week that cancer has returned to her body and she will again go through, the intense, go through intense medical treatment. We ask you to heal both of these friends. We bring them to you, trusting that you will do for them far more than we can desire or pray for. Lord, have mercy. And finally, we lift to you our national government. Specifically, we lift to you both our president and president-elect. We pray for each of their staff and for their families. Even now, Father, please rescue both men from anger, pride, and revenge. Please place, them in, place in them hearts that long to know you more deeply and minds that are humble and kind. Accept the prayers of your people, we pray. And in your mercy, look with compassion on all who turn to you for help. Grant that we may find you and be found by you, that our divisions may cease, and that we may be united in your truth and walk together in love to bear witness to your glory in the world. We pray these things with the confidence that you hear us, because we pray in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Tonight's scripture reading comes from the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings 
be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The word of the Lord. I was uh, looking back today and trying to remember when, when I first had a political memory, when I, when I first could remember when things had affected our country, and faintly remember uh, John Kennedy being shot, but I don't remember much about the country's response. I do remember uh, the Vietnam War, and I remember watching, uh, I think we used to watch Walter Cronkite on this little black and white Magnavox, and uh, they'd always start with the number of dead in Vietnam, and then often they would show protests uh, in, around the country. I remember not being particularly interested at that point, but I would endure that because later Hogan's Heroes came on, and uh, that was important to me. Right? So those of you who are over 55 know that show well. And I would say it didn't affect me at all what was going on then, but I remembered the game that we played in the 60s in my neighborhood, a little white suburban neighborhood, was called Whoever Falls the Neatest. And we would pretend that we were uh, being shot in the jungles of Vietnam and then judge each other on how we died. And I, I say that just to say, you know, things affect us more than we, than we realize. As a little kid, I, I thought, well, I guess when you grow up, you, you go to Vietnam and you die. Um, well, I, I would say that the times we are living in today uh, feel about as divided as uh, uh, that period in the mid-60s. And whether or not, whoever you voted for, I think everyone has the sense that uh, there's a level of tension in our country right now that we haven't experienced in a long, long time. So uh, what, are, what can we do? Well, one of the things that we can do is pray. Sometime around the summer of 64, not 1964, but the summer of 64, there was a big fire that destroyed uh, 75% of Rome. And the people thought that the Emperor Nero, who was somewhat crazy, had started it in order to uh, clear land for a palace he wanted to build. Nero blamed the Christians. He rounded them up. He put them to death. The Roman historian Tacitus, uh, if we put that quote up, described what happened. In their very deaths, the Christians' death, they were made the subjects of sport, for they were covered with the hides of wild beasts and devoured by dogs, or nailed to crosses or set fire to, when the day wanted burned to serve for the evening lights." And Nero went on to execute many Christians during his reign. He murdered his mother. He poisoned his stepbrother. He was the first Roman emperor to commit suicide. So obviously, this was a very difficult time to be a Christian. Uh, Timothy was a young church planter in uh, the great Roman city of Ephesus. And uh, he was struggling and evidently had sent word to Paul that he needed some, some guidance. And Paul wrote back uh, a letter that we call First Timothy. In the middle of it, he explains the purpose. He says, Paul says, I'm writing these things so you may know how to behave in the household of God. That, so this is kind of a church planner's manual 
of uh, how, to, how to plant a church, especially in trying times. And he, he starts off with an introduction and a warning against false teachers in chapter 1. And then he says in chapter 2, first of all then, and he goes in to talk about prayer. And, and I just, that just strikes me as so interesting. When, when I took many church planning courses in seminary and early in my ministry, and we talked about demographic research and door-to-door surveys and worship styles and parking lots and when to go to two services. And uh, <laughs> Paul says, okay, Timothy, the first thing, we're going to talk about doctrine and leadership and, and conflict. Let me tell you what you've got to worry about first. It's your prayer life. I just am struck by how, inter- how what a contrast that is. First thing I want to talk to you about is how you pray as a people of God. It's the most important thing. And then he uses four different words for prayer. Uh, that we're supposed to offer for kings and all are in authority. The first word is deesis, which means letting God know what your needs are. It's a Greek word that is used in the Gospels for uh, a leper when he asked Jesus to heal him. And so it's the idea that, that God wants us to tell him what we need, to tell him what we feel, to tell him what we desire, to tell him what we need help with. And, of course, the the lament psalms tell us that we are allowed to be brutally honest about that. So, maybe where we should start as we work through our feelings this election season is by telling God how we feel and what we need. How, How often did you do that this week? It seems like our tendency, perhaps, is to go to other places to kind of work through our anxiety and frustration about what's going on in our world, uh, all the social media opportunities, conversations with friends. And I don't think those are bad things. I think those are good, good things. But first of all, we ought to go to God with our need. Well, what would you do first thing Wednesday morning? First thing we should do God, I, whatever it is, you are. I'm worried that we are substituting posting for praying. That we're we're reading a lot and praying little. The day after the election on campus, you probably know it's been hard on campus. There have been protests. Friday there was violence. Um... Julian Reese, who is a worker with InterVarsity, a campus Christian group, put together a prayer service for the staff. It's probably related with the House of Prayer, I'm sure, somehow. And uh, they started with this quote from Thomas Merton. I think I put that up there. What a great prayer. Uncrowd my heart, O God, until silence speaks in your still small voice. Turn me from the hearing of words and the making of words and the confusion of much speaking to listening, waiting, stillness, silence. That's a great place to begin. I don't think it means and you never talk and you never post and you never share what you feel. But I think, first of all, we need to start there. So I'm going to give you just a moment and ask you to um, just quietly go before the Lord Tell them where you are tonight, emotionally, spiritually, uh, and what you need from him. We'll take about a minute or two to do that. Go ahead.
Amen. Now, the second word is prosuke, which is translated prayers. And the first word uh, normally refers to individual prayers. The second word refers to, in the Bible, to praying as a group. Sometimes it's praying corporately in a worship service. Sometimes it's gathered believers gathered together even like on a riverbank praying. So what I think this suggests is that one of the wisest movements a Christian can make in a time of anxiety is to gather together with other believers in prayer. Um, and and, and I, I, would, I would encourage us, my, my fear is, from anecdotal evidence, is that uh, maybe that slipped out of our gatherings as a people a little too much. Uh, not, not that we're doing anything wrong. It's just we love each other. We love our times in the Word. We love fellowship. But the early Christians spent a lot of time together praying, and in that praying, they found great, great peace. Uh, I was in a group earlier this week, and we were processing what was going on, and it was a good, I, I love the way, I think, I think our people work very hard at respecting one another as we talk about these things. And this was a group where a lot of people would voted for different people and were responding in different ways. And we were having a good, honest discussion and some raw emotion was coming out and uh, in a good, healthy way. And then we said, well, let's pray. And so we started to pray for uh, uh, Mr. Trump and his wife and his kids and just for healing from whatever wounds they experienced during this campaign. And then we prayed for Mrs. Clinton and Mr. Clinton and her daughter and for healing for them. And it was so interesting. The whole mood of the room shifted from kind of raw, uh, contained anxiety to kind of trust and peace. You can't really pray for someone and hate them. You can't pray for someone long and, and hate them. So I think this is one of the reasons why this command is, is in, the, in the Bible. Well, the third word for prayer Paul uses is antuxis, which is translated intercessions. And uh, this was a word in, in secular Greek that described coming into the presence of a king and bringing a petition on behalf of someone else. Paul uses this word in Romans 8.26, you know that passage about prayer where the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. This is the word there for intercession. Um, the word is also used for approaching God with a complaint. And, and I'm reminded of, of Reba Omer, one of our members in our congregation who's a public defender. She's leading, a, you probably saw in the newsletter, a little discussion about a book they're reading on lament, which just started tonight before service, which you can go to if you'd like. And what Reba does all day is she goes before a judge and she stands before the judge on behalf of uh, her clients who, who have needs that they're not able to, um, uh, to articulate on their own behalf. So she, she complains for them. And so I think what this is, part of what this is talking about is what we might refer to as social justice praying. This is praying on behalf of the most vulnerable members of our society, lifting them up to the leader and asking for justice for them. Um, and so one of the things that I'd, I'd ask you to do is ask what, what vulnerable member of our community from the whole spectrum of life, which one is God asking you to lift up in prayer? 
And, and maybe what we could do, maybe you could start a weekly or a monthly prayer gathering where, where you just intercede on behalf of that vulnerable population or people. And this is different. This is not a, a debate about issues. This is not a study. This is prayer. This is what Paul calls in Ephesians 6, engaging the powers. Romans 8.26, the Holy Spirit praying through you. This is wrestling in prayer on behalf of the most vulnerable members of our community. Now, I could, I could anticipate a complaint or a critique, which would go something like this. Doug, you are such a monk. Whenever things get hard, you, you tell us to resort to prayer, to run away from the world and its problems, and to dive into prayer you're always telling us to do that. Okay, fair, 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 fair. Um, I am a bit of a coward. I do love to disappear into the monastery. However, I, and I understand prayer could be an escape from a burning world. It's not what I'm arguing for. This Saturday, I'm going to Park Ridge and picking up Kamani Jamantre and DJ. We're going over to Overcoming Believers Church at 2 o'clock. You're all invited to come. We're partnering with CARM. We're, we're getting in cars. We're taking food baskets to members in the community. That's why I do that. That's why I write these editorials that nobody uh, reads, you know, because, because uh, I understand you have to be engaged in the world. I get that. But Christians many times fail to see the world through biblical eyes, which su- would not suggest, which informs us that there are powers of darkness at work that are trying to destroy our families and to destroy our communities and destroy the threat of human dignity. Read Charles Marsh's book, Beloved Community. And it will show you that faith and prayer were at the heart of the civil rights movement. Read anything about William Wilberforce and the abolition of slavery. Prayer was at the core of that movement. Uh, this is very, 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 very important. Uh, now, this kind of praying is, is, is challenging. Uh, I'm, I'm telling you, if you get into a firefight with principalities and powers and the Holy Spirit starts interceding through you and groanings too deep for words, uh, you will not be watching the clock. And you might be terrified. And I hear often, our small group fizzled out because it just got boring. Um, We used to meet together, but it just got boring. Um, And and I get that, you know. I've bored enough people in my life to spend a purgatory or two. But maybe the stakes are too small. You ever wonder that? I get together, I share that I'm struggling, I need accountability because I didn't do my quiet time. Oh, you didn't? Well, I know. And Should I give to this or that? Okay, all good stuff. Maybe our prayer worlds are just too small. I mean, there's a battle going on. It's not against the political party. It's against the powers of darkness, the forces in life that are trying to devour and destroy the human race. God calls us to engage that battle in intercessory prayer. And when you lock into that, you will not be bored, brothers and sisters. And I feel sometimes like, I told somebody this the other day. You know, I went to seminary. I graduated in 87. And, and I, I just feel like the tools that I learned then worked well for then, but they don't, they don't work now. And that one of the things that's shifting is that the focus needs to be more missional. It can't be, hey, let's come together and just take care of each other. Because it gets boring. We're not in this world to just take care of each other. You've got to do that as you go out. But if that's all it is, come over Thursday night, 
Let's take care of each other. That's not big enough. We need to intercede for the world, for the lost, for the vulnerable, from the whole spectrum of life. So I'd like to take a moment now, and I want you to think of a a vulnerable member in our community that you're concerned for or a vulnerable population. And I want you to intercede for them. Amen. The fourth word Paul uses for prayer is uh, thanksgivings, which is the Greek word eucharista. From where we get eucharist, it means literally to give thanks. And so these Christians living under Nero, who are hearing stories about their brothers and sisters being uh, eaten by animals and uh, lit on fire to light Nero's dinner party, Paul says, and by the way, make sure you're giving thanks. Thanksgiving is the heart of biblical prayer. Uh, Even the lament psalms end with thanksgiving. It's it's very important to be able to do that. Um, Next Sunday, Suzanne Hassel will be leading us on a tradition that we're we're starting. Last year on Thanksgiving, uh, she led us through a little teaching, and then we wrote a psalm of thanksgiving which is very powerful. We're going to do that again. I think that's a tradition. And so I called her, and I was talking to her. She's on the way back from Vanderbilt because she, uh, the cancer's come back, 60% of her body. And um, it, it, it's tough. They want her to take stem cell, and all, all this stuff is public. She said we could share it. It's on her caring bridge. And I said, Suzanne, you sure you want to do this next Sunday? I mean, good night. We can take a break. And she said, oh, no. I'm thankful that I get the opportunity to do this. And if you know Suzanne, one of the things that you will have witnessed is that she gives thanks. <laughs> this woman, I remember visiting her in Vanderbilt when she was doing her stem cell, and she's in this, in this forest of IVs in excruciating pain, and she's giving thanks. And there's something that brings peace when we are able to thank God. Maybe not for a bad thing, but for who he is and his faithfulness and his presence and the people who go with us along the way in the midst of it. So I want you to take a moment now and thank God uh, for something that comes to mind that you want to give him praise for.
Amen. Well, Paul then says that these prayers are to be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. And this is a mark of the church from the beginning, is that we have always prayed for our leaders, even when they were trying to stamp out the church. Uh, Justin Martyr wrote, We worship God alone. He wrote this to an emperor. But in all other things we gladly serve you, acknowledging kings and rulers of men and praying that they may be found to have pure reason with kingly power. Bishop Cyprian wrote the Roman emperor that the church was, quote, praying night and day for your peace and safety, unquote. And Tertullian insisted that Christians living under Nero pray for a long life, secure dominion, a safe home, a faithful senate, a righteous people, and a world at peace. So this, as Daniel modeled so well tonight, this is just something we do. Probably ought to do it every, every night at dinner or when you go to bed. It ought to be just part of what we do. It's something that we're known for. Now, it's not always easy to know what to pray for. For some of you, that is very easy. Some of you, spontaneous prayer just comes very naturally. Um, but there is this rich tradition of written prayer or liturgical prayer that can guide us as well. And um, I wanted to share a, a liturgical prayer from the uh, 1929 version of the Book of Common Prayer. And I'd actually like us to, to pray this. This is called a collect. And in their tradition, a collect is a written prayer that a congregation prays together. So this is a collect of prayer for leaders. So I'd like us to pray for this together. O Lord, our governor, whose glory is in all the world, we commend this nation to thy merciful care, that being guided by thy providence, we may dwell secure in thy peace. Grant to the President of the United States the governor of this state, and to all in authority, wisdom and strength to know and to do thy will. Fill them with the love of truth and righteousness, and make them ever mindful of their calling to serve this people in thy fear. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. The fruit of our prayer is this, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, for this is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, the first time you read that, it looks somewhat passive. It looks as if Paul was saying, hey, just, you know, hide, withdraw, get out of the way. Uh, Be as uh, low profile as you possibly can and hold on until Jesus comes back. Um, There may be some truth in that. If we were in a house church in North Korea tonight, uh, our prayers might be real different. We might be praying, God, just let things stay stable enough that we can keep living and worshiping and serving you. That may be as best as you can get in North Korea. But there are some hints here that the early Christians didn't see this as an excuse to just lay low and and, uh, hide out. Um, He says, let prayers be made for all people, for everyone, everyone in society, that everyone might lead a peaceful and quiet life, a life marked by shalom. That everybody would enjoy that. The vulnerable, the powerful, everybody would enjoy that. 
And that ultimately that they might all be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You know, saved, big Greek word, sozo, health, healing, rescue, restoration, everything about it, being made right with God. So this is a prayer for the, the salvation of everyone, the health, the wholeness, the resurrection, the restoration of everyone. That's the context of the prayer. So, and when we pray, the result is to be that we live godly and dignified lives. And those words refer to a godly life. Eusebia has the idea of being rightly related to God and neighbor. Dignified means living so much like Christ that people respect that in you. So you put all that together, what do you got? This is a prayer that the government would lead in a way that we would have the opportunity to live a Godward life for man and God and live for Jesus in the world. That's really what the prayer is. Now, the early church didn't just hide. Uh, Aldolf Harnack in 1908 wrote a classic book called The Mission and Expansion of Christianity. Here's ten different ways he saw the church active in society in this very period. They collected alms and gave them to the poor. They organized charity work. They supported widows and orphans. They cared for prisoners. They buried the dead when the family couldn't afford a grave. They cared for slaves. They cared for people visited by great calamities. They provided jobs for the unemployed. They cared for brethren on journeys. And if we had time, we could look. There are a lot of things that they wrote about um, the chariot uh, games. That was a huge issue that Christians tackled. So, so they weren't just sitting and hiding out. That's, that's, my, that's my point even as they were praying. There was this beautiful blend of contemplation and action. So you've got to have both. You can't just stay in the monastery, I guess unless you're a monk. We're not monks. We can't just stay in the monastery. You can't just stay in the front lines. I read a line today that said, the only way that your heart will not turn hateful in a time like this is through contemplation. And you might check yourself right now. You might just ask, how, how much of my interaction right now is fueled by anger, rage, and hatred? The reason why we go back to God and spend time with him is so that whatever we do in the world is measured by love. And, and, and there's just, this is something so obvious that you all know it. I'm just going to say it anyway. There's just a real practical way for us to do this, like this week. And uh, it has to do with um, uh, hate speech and and hate acts. Um, This article appeared in the Washington Post Friday. A University of Michigan student was approached by a stranger who threatened to set her on fire with a lighter if she didn't remove her hijab. Police said the incident occurred between 5.30 and 7 on Friday just outside the campus in Ann Arbor. Police said the woman compiled and left. Uh, We consider this a hate crime, Diane Brown said. uh, They're looking into the investigation. Okay, we all know that stuff is is happening. And so one of the real practical things that we can do as we are trying to work for the salvation and the shalom of all people and living godly and dignified lives in the world that are fueled by intercessory prayer, one of the things that we can do is just speak out against any form of, of hate speech or act. And that would mean in the boardroom, in the locker room. That would mean on Facebook, if you're going to do that. A lot of us have decided to get off Facebook right now. But if that's your case, it just means that there's, as Christians, we just say, no, that's not acceptable. 
It's just not acceptable. So, well, where do we start? Where do we start? Well, a good place to begin is with lament. Not over the result of this election or that election or this Senate race or whatever. I mean, over the broken state of our country. Over the divided state of our country. Over the amount of hate and suspicion and mistrust in our country. That's a place where we can start with lament. And so I want to end tonight, before we go to the table, with a, a prayer for lament. Um, and I'd like you to stand as we say it together, and I would like you to grab the hand of someone next to you, and I will, um, I will lead, and, and you can respond with the bold line. And try to get across the aisle if possible. It may be stretching a little too far, but I'd like us to all be one. Yeah. Thank you. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of this world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of this world. Hear our prayer For those that suffer in this broken world, Have mercy. the women, men, and children, the maimed and the crippled, the abandoned and the homeless, the imprisoned and the tortured, the widowed and the orphaned, the bleeding and the dying, the weary and the desperate. Oh God, have mercy on us. For our reluctance and our inability to take good care of all that you've given us, for the violence that is rooted in our hearts, for the times we turn others into enemies, us. deliver us, O oh God. Hear our prayer. From the arrogance of power, from the tyranny of greed, from the ugliness of racism, from the cancer of hatred, from the seduction of wealth, from the addiction of control. From the idolatry of nationalism, from the paralysis of cynicism, from the violence of apathy, from the ghettos of poverty, from the ghettos of wealth, from the lack of imagination, deliver us, O God. With the help of God's grace, with the compassion of Christ, with God's abiding kindness, we will love even our enemies. with God's unending faithfulness, we will work to build the community. with God's infinite mercy, we will live in, with all in the end, there are three things at last. Faith, hope, and love. And the, the greatest of these is love. Let us abide in God's love.